0: Hello, and welcome to an episode of Ruben Uncut. In this episode of Ruben Uncut, Ruben will be reviewing the film Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now, Ruben ha- wanted to put an opening sketch at the beginning of this podcast like all episodes. However, Ruben realized that it would be very difficult to do this without doing some impersonation of an African-American voice. ...and felt like that could be problematic and potentially unfunny. Instead, Ruben has allowed me the opportunity to grant you with some specific facts about the recording of this episode before watching it. As you enjoy the podcast, you may notice at a certain point that Ruben mistakenly refers to one of the lead actors as Kim Bessinger. Now, this is inaccurate... He did not mean to say Kim Bessinger. That actor does not appear in this film. He meant to say Angelica Houston, and I... What? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm being handed a note from the producers, and the note says, He meant Angela Bassett, you dumbass. I see. I see, yes. Yes, there is a point in the podcast where Ruben will say Kim Bessinger instead of Angela Bassett. Now, of course, Ruben makes a quick off-handed joke about being racist, making fun of the idea of mixing up two black actors. However, upon researching afterwards, Ruben realized that Kem Basinger is in fact white. As I am being informed is Angelica Houston. Angela Bassett, however, is black and an incredible tour de force in the film. The question of whether or not mixing up these names makes Ruben racist is a question that I'm inclined to say no. Not just because I just made the same mistake with Angelica Houston, but because, as a fictional white person, I do not want to be referred to as racist. Regardless of the fact that I am just a voice Ruben is making. So please sit back, relax, and prepare to enjoy Ruben's review of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Welcome to the show. Right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. Time for the Black Panther Wakanda Forever movie review. Now, to be fair, to truly understand the absolute quality of the film, one does have to watch a movie more than once. But this is my in-theater review. So here we go. Let's talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Side note, I want to state for the fact that... Black Panther and Black Adam would be one fucking cool. uh would be a fucking awesome double feature. And not just because they have some of the same themes either. Because uh, they do have some of the same themes in subtext. <clears throat> Mostly, you know, about imperialism. And, you know, how uh, white people invade countries and ruin them. That's actually not a big feature of Black... Uh, sorry, of Black Panther. You know, I, I guarantee I'm going to accidentally say Black Adam when I mean to say Black Panther and possibly even Black Panther when I mean to say Black Adam at least a couple of times in this review. So let's get into it. Black Panther. Wakanda forever. All right, so let's get... You know, let's just... Let's get... Let's get the elephant in the room out of the way the movie is a the movie is operating off a highly questionable premise which is should we let a character die when the actor dies now warner now sorry marvel has already has already replaced actors before recasting has happened in both the marvel and dc universes this would not it would not be weird on a certain level to recast it however the problem was is that marvel was almost publicly in a situation where they had to figure out recasting him chadwick boseman almost as soon as he died They had to answer that question in the emotional period of Chadwick Boseman's death. Now, I don't know who made the ultimate decision. If it was the directors, the writers, the the studio executives, if it was a group decision, if it was Disney, I don't know. But... it is a high risk artistic choice and it is simultaneously what elevates this movie above something like black adam and also kind of the kind of one of the things that's holding the movie back at the same time because it's a messy thing to deal with You've got to try and go into this. You have to cover the death in a way. You have to cover the mourning in a way. And that's how the movie opens. And I'm not going to lie to you. It was disconcertingly weird watching the first like five or ten minutes of this movie, if I'm keeping it real with you. To sit there in the movie theater and be thinking about a character being dead, but also that the actor was dead at the same time was honestly very weird and also kind of took me out of the starting of the movie where my brain was just immediately like, oh man, this is fucking weird because we hadn't really seen anything like this before. But the thing that the reason it elevates the movie, though, the reason why, even though arguably I had less complaints about Black Adam, the thing that elevates Black Panther above Black Adam is this choice. Why? Because ultimately, grieving is built into the movie. This is a movie about grieving. And I don't just mean that that is the story or the subtext. Or, or the themes of the movie. I mean this film itself. Is an act of grieving. The people who made this movie. Put their grief. Into it. And you can feel it. You can feel it. Through the whole film. I, I don't mean that in like an oppressive way. The film also has fun. And action. It, it's not just. It's not just sort of a funeral dirge. Although I will admit some of the humor felt a little flat for me. Um, certain characters are more naturally funnier than other ones. And some of the comedic exchanges are just kind of like, uh, yeah. so in terms of the film as the thing is, is that this infusion of raw, human emotion and artistic expression into the film is what elevates it is what makes it into technical it is art now technically all movies are art to some extent they are someone's artistic talents put on display but this is more art because raw human emotions and thoughts are are infused into the film via the artistic process itself. Everyone who worked on this film is grieving a person they knew. That's what this movie is. And that makes it strangely beautiful and compelling. That being said, it also makes it, the decision to kill off a character this weirdly prematurely is also messy. It makes your story real long. Now, to be fair, I don't have a problem with a movie being this long. I like movies that feel epic, as long as their pacing is okay. I've sat through way more 90-minute movies where, at a certain point, I was like, God, is this thing still going on? Then I have two-and-a-half or three-hour movies that are still going on. I don't know why that is, but it is true. I was watching The Witch, the other movie... Um, the other night, a movie I enjoyed, but uh, it's like 93 minutes, and a certain part I was like, has this been on for two hours? It had not been. I liked it, though. It was good. But back to Black Panther. So on the one hand of this movie, we've got this thing where there's this just really great... It's just this really great human emotion built into the film. And I can't ignore that. I can't look away from that, uh, both from like an emotional level or an artistic level. That's just fucking art, man. And I would always support flawed... I, I will always support flawed art over perfected uh, product. Um. That being said, on the superheroing side of things... <laughs> So on the one hand, we got this. The film is an artistic grieving process. And uh, then on the other side of this, we've got the other the uh, the superhero in part of the movie, uh, which is which just has huge Batman V Superman energy. I mean, if I'm being honest, this did not feel like a Marvel movie when I saw it. And that actually is the kind of thing I like about Ryan Coogler. He's one of the few uh, Marvel directors who Marvel's like, yeah, sure, make it your own movie. I mean, I guess if... You... Because his movies don't play out like other Marvel movies. They're not slaves to the formula of Marvel movies. Which is good, because there ain't nothing in this movie... There's very little in this movie that feels like it's part of the Marvel formula. The o- in fact, the only time I was watching this movie where it distinctly felt like a Marvel movie... Uh, was there any time Julia Lou, Louise Dreyfus's character uh would show up? Side note, I I, I don't hate Julie Louis Julie, What's Her Face from Seinfeld. I don't hate her. Um, but I will say uh, her character and I mean this, she's her character's probably not meant to be as likable as, as Nick Fury, but she's clearly gonna be like the Nick Fury of the near, like If not this phase, then definitely the next phase. I got distracted by Julia Julia Louise Dreyfus. I got distracted by her for a second there. Okay, where was I? All right, so yeah. So this movie doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. And I mean that in a good way. I mean, for me personally, if your favorite Marvel movie is Ant-Man and the Wasp, then this is prop. Then you're not going to be super thrilled about most of this movie, <laughs> mainly because it's long, it's more mature, and it's not just loaded with dumbass jokes. Don't be wrong; there were a couple of jokes that made me cringe, but like overall, the movie doesn't enslave itself to constant one-liners, which is great because this movie is dealing with some heavy shit. And this and Ryan Coogler is a good enough director to know not to ruin the heavy shit with some. Ill place jokes, <sighs> but yeah, the the movie has heavy Batman v Superman energy. Um, first of all, it's long. Second of all, <coughs> it is <coughs> loaded. <with coughs> excuse me, <coughs> choking for no reason. It is loaded with the types of tropes and themes. that are normally seen in Marvel movies. I'm sorry, in DC movies. Specifically movies like Batman v Superman. In fact, there's numerous points in this movie where it seems to actually almost be hitting the same beats. In fact, arguably, it's a lot like BVS, except that the big character death happens at the beginning of the movie instead of at the end. Like, no, seriously, if if BVS started with the Superman character dying and yet still also being able to be a Superman character that fights the Batman character, then it kind of is that. Instead, this is a movie where the Batman character dies off screen and has to be replaced with another person who goes off to fight the Superman character. And there's some things I won't elaborate on because of spoilers. But, like, there's a lot of Batman v Superman in this movie. Even the influence of mothers is, like, the parental influence concept that is runs through all the DC movies is heavy here. Like, Queen Ramonda, uh Oh, I'm going to pull up a cast so I don't mispronounce it, so I don't miss saves. Uh But Kim Mason's character... Oh, my God, I hope I'm not messing up the cast. Chadwick Boseman still has top billing, which is funny. Oh my God. I said, Kim Basinger, but it's Angela Bassett. God, Ruben, you fucking racist. Ah, Fuck that up. Okay. Well, the point is Angela Bassett. Well, I will say at least has a similar name. uh, As Queen Ramonda is. Way out in front of this movie, like she is a big character. Like you feel her presence and her mother influence is strong throughout the film and is heavily influential on the actions of characters uh, like Letitia's red Shuri. Who. Who is, who is in the Batman position. Okay. Who, Who is basically in the Batman position in a couple of different ways. One, trying to figure out how to move on after their inspiration has died, just like in Batman v. Superman. And also, actually technically that's more like Justice League. Uh but also going through a lot of sp- a lot of spiritual conflict, which is which was a which was a subtextual thing in Batman v Superman heavily. Here we see it as Letitia Wright has a constant struggle between her scientific her atheistic scientific beliefs and her her country's Uh, cultural connection to the afterlife, uh, which is a big part of the film. Um, The film doesn't, like, point this... Doesn't... Like, there's a certain point in the movie where Letitia Wright clearly accepts that supernatural shit is real, but, like, never, never, like, owns up to it. (laughs) Although, to be fair, that's not really a great point for her to to own up to it. But, um, or maybe there is. I don't know. Anyways, (laughs) moving along. Also, like BVS, there's tons of foreign politics issues and black ops stuff and the government looking shady as shit. Although in this movie, (laughs) like, okay, so here's the thing, like literally almost like like 66 percent of the time in this movie, a war crime is happening. Like, that's a big thing about this movie is that we are literally watching a conflict, not just between superheroes, but between nations. Literally, this is a movie about about different weird nations going to war and how, like, America and the CIA even touches on it a little bit. But primarily, the movie is Wakandans and uh the Talos or whatever they call them, uh, Talukan people that... uh that Namor leads—it's—it's it's almost entirely one of these nations is at some point committing a war crime, and actually at the at the beginning of the movie, France France commits a war crime, basically commits a war crime against Wakanda. Like it's, it's just constant war crimes, constant war crimes. The the film even has an early on uh, scene involving uh, Black Ops mercenaries who get taken down by Wakandans uh similar and then and then she goes and talks to the United Nations kind of and then the Queen Ramonda goes to the United Nations to kind of talk to them the same way that Superman has to eventually go talk to to the Senate like it's fascinating it's fascinating uh, but yeah, no war crimes are happening all the time in this movie. Like the movie never addresses it, and some of it, like everything Wakanda's done, is seen, comes off as justified. But like literally, um, the the plot of the movie, the the plot of the movie is that Wakandans, um, so okay, so I'll just tell you what the basic synopsis is. All right, so, uh, Black Panthers did, family's in mourning. Um, the rest of the world still wants vibranium. But Wakanda's like, no, we're never giving vibranium to people because they'll use it uh, because they will probably abuse it and do terrible things with it. And essentially, uh, a joint international task force discovers vibranium at the bottom of the ocean. So what happens? Well, it turns out that vibranium belongs to the secret not Atlantean, but Talucan people uh, who uh, basically undersea civilization of Aztec or Mayan people who were escaping, uh, disca- escaping all the disease and death in Central America by uh, building a home underwater where they, uh, they have changed dramatically basically the leader of these people namor uh basically comes to uh to the Conans and it's like hey um you i'm worried about this and you should be worried about this outside forces just found my vibranium and hey you should help us against the outside forces. we should make a vibranium alliance and they're like what do you want And he's like oh i just need you to go um assassinate an American citizen who is also a scientist who happens to have built this machine. Um, and the, the scientist who built that machine turns out to be Ironheart played by Dominic Thorne. This is uh, this is where we get more into Batman v Superman, and because yes, I am implying that Ironheart is the Wonder Woman of this movie. 100 percent is uh cameo characters set up for future movies? Yeah. Yeah. Um, What did I think of Ironheart? I mean, I thought Ironheart was pretty... Honestly, her character was the most naturally funny person in the movie. Like, there were a lot of characters who'd make these jokes, and I'd be like, ugh, it didn't feel real. But then she would joke, and I'd be like, yeah, that feels in line with your character. So she she was easily the most naturally funny person in the movie, which the movie kind of needed, because not a lot of other people were super naturally funny. With, uh, You know who was naturally funny? Um, uh, Winston Duke's M'Baku he was funny too he he, he did a good job with humor his character is simultaneously given some cool things to do but also not enough things to do where was I okay so basically the whole gist of the film is Wakandan's kidnapping an American citizen now are they kidnapping this American citizen for their own protection. I mean, yeah. You know, because they decided not to murder them. Uh, to benefit Namor. Um So, yeah. <clears throat> but so, of course, the whole movie... In the whole movie's uh, central conflict is based around this stuff. And it is honestly pretty dope i have some complaints i have some criticisms actually primarily i have criticisms of namor um which is interesting because namor is also my favorite part of the movie um per- specifically because um the actor uh oh my god i hope it tennock huerta I'm so sorry about not knowing how to pronounce your name, but dear sir, you fucking killed it in this movie. Um, And he did. Uh, he does a really, really good job in the movie. Um, it actually has some black Adam energy. I-, I think now actually they may have changed some of black Adam's appearance because if they, if he had the pointy ears and the weird haircut uh, him and Namor would actually look too similar. Um, and they already have a lot of personality in common. So that's so that's the thing. But the, the guy who plays Namor does a great job. He makes him genuinely menacing. Like when he leans in and tells people he's going to kill them. Uh, he, A, you believe him because his eyes say that he believes him. It, he does a really good job. Really good job. Um, that being said... Uh, the way he is written into action scenes is disappointing um, on a certain level. Allow me to explain. So a thing the movie does is it doesn't really set up Namor's power level effectively. And this is kind of a thing that bothers me in superhero movies. Um, So, like, there's two things. One, um, there's... Like, Namor... Namor's ability to be threatening in this movie is largely based on the fact that the actor himself does a great job of emanating that energy into his performance. Even the child actor who plays him in the splashbacks does a great job of bringing this, in, this energy forward. The problem the problem is, is he doesn't really do anything um, to establish his power levels. Uh, oh, we, I mean, we see him throw a helicopter. Okay, that's great. But Marvel claims that Namor is on par with Thor and the Hulk. And there's just literally nothing in the movie to imply this. Like, there's literally nothing in the movie to apply this. To imply this. Like, the whole movie... Like, this was actually a thing I didn't realize until afterwards. Because, like, literally I didn't think about it while I was watching the movie. But afterwards, I was like, you know, he didn't really smash very much stuff for a guy who's supposed to be as strong as the Hulk or, or uh or thor and when he hit people very few of them just died from being hit like like most people in this movie die from drowning like the number one way that namor and his armies kill people is with drowning and it's not i mean it's cool that that his people have siren singing powers that can make uh people jump into the ocean uh and it's cool that they have like some type of water bombs uh and it's also cool that they have um it's also cool that they somehow know how to flood areas of of dry land uh but they seem technologically backwards. Okay, so Namor's people live like cavemen. Uh, Like, their society is not advanced. Like, literally, they have a vibranium powered, like, they have, like, a vibranium nuclear power plant, and that is the extent of their technology. Like, at a certain point in the movie, like, there was actually, part of me was like, You know, this Namor says he wants to take over the dry land area, but uh, I think, I don't know if that's going to work out for him when he encounters civilizations with things like rocket launchers, grenades, and high-powered machine guns. Is he bulletproof? I don't know. He never gets hit by anything. Generally, well, that's not true. He gets hit by a thing. Okay, but like... Namor smashes very little stuff. And in fact, there are several points where he spends more time attacking things with his spear than his hands. And like, I get that his spear is pure vibranium, but like... Why didn't he just jump up? Why didn't he just jump on those Wakanda planes and just, you know, did what he did with the helicopter? The spear seems less effective. <sighs> And his people, like, uh, that's his main, that's their main weapon. Like, his people's weapons are essentially just spears. I mean, they're really good with them, and they have a lot of physical abilities, uh, like starfish-like regeneration and stuff. But, uh, I don't know. In a world full of drones and machine guns and bombs, that can, devast- that can ecologically devastate the ocean, I, it's hard for me to imagine that Namor's eventual takeover of the land would go very well for him at all. Like, sure, he might take out the coastlines with his flooding powers, but if he tried to move inland, but the retaliation would just probably destroy them. In fact, there's probably a lot of weapons that people have that namor and his people just aren't ready for in this movie not to mention that the avengers would one doesn't get the the idea that he would actually be a threat to the avengers one doesn't get that impression from this movie it's implied Marvel has said he's as strong as the Hulk or or Thor but the movie itself just doesn't do much to establish this I, look I understand that M'Baku's there's a part in the movie where he punches M'Baku and just like shatters M'Baku's armor and like I get that he pr- that M'Baku probably had vibranium under that wooden plate but like M'Baku gets up fine like not even just a little bit fine. And yeah, yeah, eventually Shuri gets the Black Panther powers and fights him. And she's also got vibranium armor and whatnot. That they can just punch each other. And like I understand Vibranium is supposed to absorb a lot, but like it's not clear how much it can absorb. In the movie. And it's not clear how strong she is. I mean, she's pretty strong, as the movie indicates. Like, the Black Panthers full-on have a super soldier serum made from vibranium and plant life. Side note, how, how lucky is Steve Rogers that when he got his super soldier serum, he didn't have to trip balls every time. <laughs> trip balls and talk to the dead the only other thing I'm gonna say before I get into the only other criticism I have before I get into the spoilers in terms of um, in terms of the film is that oh right. so like also like also like Batman v Superman, the film is filled the film has a lot of like montages of people like preparing for things or doing science. In all honesty, in all honesty, several of these sequences in in Black Panther, I was like, I feel like this has gone on too long, and also like are vague. Like some of the stuff in these montages are just like why, and and like a lot of it's just like oh sure is doing a thing with that 3D computer sim thing, and like it's just. I understand what they're doing, but these sequences seem, I don't know, long and with stuff in them that doesn't really matter. There's also a few points in the movie where, like, it, there are a few points in the movies that have, like, some generic action adventure movie vibe to them. And these, these moments kind of bring it down a little bit. But in all honesty, I I overall enjoyed it. I like Batman v Superman, so I don't care that it has so much in common with it. Uh, Even though like, there is one scene in the movie where they basically do their own version of one of BVS's most controversial scenes, and my major reaction was just like, what the... Are you fucking kidding me? But yeah. That's what I have to say about the non-spoilers. Did I like it? Yeah, it's a cool movie. If you if if you like Chadwick Boseman, then you should definitely go see this movie because it is basically a tribute to him. It's basically, it's basically a tribute to him and it's basically just something that is literally grieving for the man is built into the film itself. Now, I will say... Killing off the character, I don't think is a great choice. I think it's convoluted. And it's going to cause... It's going to be weird later on. And I'll go into that in the spoilers. Because it's not actually just as simple as them replacing him with with Shuri. Um, But I'll talk about that in the spoilers. So yeah, I definitely do recommend... If you can do yourself a double feature of Black Panther and Black Adam, ideally Black Panther Black Adam first but, and Black Panther second cuz well, I don't know, maybe you would like the heavier one first. But they're also long. Uh I'd watch them together. But uh all right, we're going to go into the I'm going to go into the spoilers now. But if you like this podcast, please do whatever lets the place you're getting the podcast know that you like this podcast. And, uh, yeah. That'd be great. All right. Thank you for listening. For those who are interested, uh, stay tuned for the spoilers. I will actually, I mean, you just watch the movie first and then. Then listen to the spoilers, unless you're like one of those people who likes movies to be spoiled for them before they watch. them. <laughs> All right, we're in the spoilers. You know, we did spoilers because we're after the commercial break. I don't know if your podcast lets you know where the commercial breaks got to go. All right, so let's do this. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, spoilers section. Let's get ready to talk about some war crimes. War crimes that are committed and treasons. Technically, Martin Freeman's character, who I don't remember his name. What was the white guy's name? Is he the only one? By the way, there's way more, more white people in this movie than the first movie. Uh, <laughs> just I mean I'm technically serious, but I'm also kidding. Uh Martin Freeman. Oh, wait, Everett Ross. Is he supposed to be related to Thunderbolt Ross? Somebody get somebody look into that. All right. <clears throat> uh his character's in the movie, and he technically commits treason because he essentially gives information to Wakanda uh without telling the government. <laughs> I I do really appreciate that at the end of the movie, Wakanda extracts their mole (laughs) from American custody. (laughs) They extract their mole from American custody. Okay, where was I? That's not the most important spoiler on here. So what kind of spoilers am I going to talk about here? (sighs) Okay, so... I I forgot to say in the last part, Is I actually really liked Namor's origin. I thought they really did a good job with that. And I would say also that while I find his underwater village, his underwater city, less convincing or logical in any way than the, uh, an Atlantis from the Aquaman movie. I forgot to mention this. I get the impression Aquaman would kick his ass based on the power levels in this movie. He can throw up, he can throw a like a, he can throw a small plane or helicopter, but Aquaman lifted an entire fucking submarine from the ocean in his movie. Even Namor, who is meant to be a tank, comes across in the movie more like a a mobility player, like a mobility uh, build. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, actually, I'm not so much ahead of myself as irrelevant. All right, so what things are worth talking about that are spoilers? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, So I mentioned a couple things. I I alluded to a couple things that I think are worth talking about in this section. Thing number one. Um, I I actually liked uh, Namor's origin. thought it was well done. I, I I really liked that Ryan Coogler went there with a lot of stuff. Like, Ryan Coogler is not... was not afraid to go hard at numerous points in his movies, including, like, showing Namor's underwater birth. I was... I was impressed with that shit. Um, so the BVS scene that I'm, of course, referring to is the Martha moment. You may remember the Martha moment from Batman versus Superman, where it's uh, Batman is uh, standing over uh, Superman, getting ready to, uh, to murder him. And uh, essentially Superman mentions his mother's name. Batman, who's got PTSD and his obsession with his own mother, freaks out about it. It's like, why did you say that name? As he like, spirals into PTSD panic. And, uh, and, Wonder- and Lois Lane comes out of nowhere and's like, hey, Ma- Martha's his mother. And then suddenly um, Superman is humanized for Batman and Batman no longer wants to murder him. Well, almost the exact same thing happens in this movie. Almost the exact same fucking scene. Like, literally, Shuri's got got him down. Got Namor down, and she's standing over him, and she's ready to kill him. When suddenly, well, instead of anyone saying Martha, instead, she just has flashbacks to his story about his mom, and then she has a vision. It's not really a flashback. It's like a vision of her own mother give, from the afterlife, giving her, like, reminding her to, to like, embrace forgiveness and it's like it's like damn I, I was just like I was sitting in the theater and I was looking at it and I was like it's the same fucking scene like she's even standing over him as he looks up with up at her and it's just it's the same fucking scene the same fucking scene the scene was it was ridiculed mocked here is basically done almost ident it's almost the exact same scene except with flashbacks and afterlife visions instead of dialogue (laughs) i'm gonna think about our moms and then i'll remember you're human like that it's the same scenes it's the same concept and yet I haven't heard anyone making fun of it in this movie yet. We'll see how it plays out. But it's the same fucking thing. There are some subtle differences based on the fact that this is also a conflict between world leaders and not just superheroes. But other than that, yeah, it's the same fucking thing. And also arguably she should have killed him because Namor is still totally planning to have war on the surface. I can't wait to see that blow up in his face once he realizes he has no idea what their techn- he has no idea what surface technology is like. For crying out loud, I am certain that Stark Industries has made shit that can kill these people. I wonder how it will politically blow up in Wakanda's face when it's revealed that uh, when this nation finally comes to light, because the movie, because they successfully conceal Namor's people through the whole movie. America never learns about them. Oh, right. I should probably mention the two big things, of course, is that Michael B. Jordan is in the movie. He has a cameo. Actually, this I I dug this part. The whole scene where Shuri, like her her drug trip, the person she meets from the afterlife is Michael B. Jordan's character. Now, I mean, the the movie implies, without saying it, that who she was hoping to see was. T'Challa and not Killmonger that is what the, it, I, it, she doesn't say I don't remember her saying that out loud but I'm fairly certain that that's the implication and uh and like this movie also like Batman v Superman is playing up the darkness buried in Shuri from her traumas the parallels just don't stop Seriously, if you're watching this movie, I want you to look for all the parallels between Batman v. Superman in this movie. There's a lot of them. But, I mentioned before, that it's really not as simple as Shuri just replacing Chadwick Boseman's uh, T'Challa. Because, just like Batman v. Superman the very last part of the film is an implication that our dead hero will return via some type of super or extra-natural type of reason. In in Batman v Superman, we see the dirt slightly rise off the coffin. And uh, in this movie we are introduced in the film at the very end to T'Challa's son. A three or four year old little boy who basically says, who reveals to Shuri that he is the reincarnation of T'Challa. Basically implying that T'Challa's soul Entered... Entered... Uh, wait, where was it? Nakia... Nakia... Nakia? Nakia's... Entered Nakia's infant while she was pregnant after he died. I will also say one of the things I was not expecting this movie to go... I did not see Queen Ramonda dying. That took me off guard. Uh That was very... That was hard. That was heavy. That was dark. And was like... Bam. It's like, fuck. Very powerful. We'll definitely miss Angela Bassett in, in future movies. Apps, she, her performance is fucking fire in this movie, by the way. She is really good. I do not remember seeing Forrest Whitaker in there. Isn't he dead? Why is he listening to the credits? Google, your credits are the worst. Uh, okay. I think I've said everything I really want to say about this movie um but yeah no to sum it all up black panther was sick uh but it was complicated it was flawed it was messy marvel still ain't doing powers right but it was still well done and the acting is really good Letitia Wright did okay i feel like Letitia Wright has a lot going on it has a lot to carry in this movie and she has enough supporting actors to help her do it but there are moments there are, there are moments where it feels like she's trying to do too much and then there's moments where she nails it i hear she was difficult to work with on set but who knows if those rumors are true it's it's one of the few marvel it's it's one of the few mcu movies that on a certain level i almost feel like it would have been a better movie if it was out of continuity Because then it wouldn't be weird that he was dead. And also, this movie could have ended with a fight to the death between Namor and Shuri. Which would have been more believable, to be completely honest. Like, at the end, they have to create a political alliance to not hurt each other. And I get that. But it also, you know, like... It also kind of means that the film ends there is no one else for them to fight after that moment it's not like they come together at the end to stop some other type of threat like in bvs no namor is the threat and he kind of goes out like a bitch but honestly the movie is good and i do recommend it and it's definitely the best marvel movie i've seen this year now to be fair, this hasn't been Marvel's strongest year. So in a move in a year where, where Marvel's movies have been kind of missing, not completely, they've all still been entertaining. This is easily the best one I have seen this year. And I, yes, I am including Werewolf by Night, which is okay. There. Despite all my bitching. Still thought it was good. Actually, I would say it's definitely the best Marvel film I have seen this year. And that includes short films, like I just said. Alright, thank you for listening. Hope, to hear, hope you hear me again.